I've been mesmerized by Hollis Brown since I first saw them open for Jesse Mallon a few years back. They played a short set, only five or six songs, but that was all it took. Their stage presence and smoldering rock and roll sound was like getting worked over by a boxer in the ring. Since then, they've only gotten better. So turn off your smoke alarms and buckle up because today we're talking about Hollis Brown on The Mix Is In. Hi, and welcome back to The Mix Is In. This is our second episode. Today we're going to be talking about a band that I love that you may not have heard of, although uh, you should have. It's a band called Hollis Brown. They're a five-piece out of Queens, New York. Um, They've been around for a few years. I think they started back in 2009 when Mike Montali, the lead singer, and Jonathan Bonilla, the guitarist, were friends in high school and decided that, yeah, I know we're going to go ahead and form a band. Currently, they're rounded out by Andrew Zenhall on drums, Adam Bach on keyboards, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this because I've never actually heard it said out loud, but I'm going to take a best shot, which is Chris Uriola on bass. So yeah, like I said, they've been around since 2009. They are a, you know, you don't want to necessarily label a band, but they're, I would say, a roots blues rock band. As I said, they're from Queens, New York, which is going to come up pretty prominently uh, with their album names and also their M.O. And, and their vibe, despite being an Americana band, they've got a distinctly New York vibe to them. I guess you can get the, the, the Americana just right from their name, which is Hollis Brown, which is taken from the Ballad of Hollis Brown, which is a Bob Dylan song. And they pulled their name from that. They were trying to come up with a Rolling Stones song to name themselves after, and you know they thought about like Mother's Little Helper and a few other things. Because the Rolling Stones pulled their name from a Muddy Waters song, they ended up going with Bob Dylan, America's preeminent songwriter. So Hollis Brown, they, they, as I said, they came together in about 2009, and they started playing the club scene around New York, and had quite a bit of success doing that. You know, they became pretty much a local favorite, played a lot of shows, they were a pretty hard-working band, and built up an, a, a local audience in and around the city and outside the city particularly in, you know, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, places where people go to see rock and roll still. They released a debut album called Hollis Brown, which I I have yet to find. I'm recording this in in Possum Kingdom Studios in Delaware, and it will surprise you that it's hard to find rare releases from under essentially underground bands in New York down here in Delaware, especially in my town of Newark where there's one record shop which is Rainbow Records, and shout out to Rainbow Records, who do a great job and are a great record store, but not necessarily carrying every piece of Americana that comes out of wherever. Uh, Incidentally, I'm recording this during the the lockdown for 
coronavirus. I hope everybody, first of all, listening to this is healthy. I've got a bit of a cold, hopefully not the virus itself, but it doesn't look like it. So I apologize for for some of the coughing that I'm going to hopefully get all of it out in editing, but uh, we'll see. But if my voice sounds a little ragged, that's why. So they started touring nationally with bands like Deer Tick and Lucero, among others, and started to get more of a buzz, I guess is the the best word for it. And they've released a second album, an EP actually, called Nothing in the Famous No One, which I also haven't found. So if you're out there listening to this, you know where I could pick up a copy for not too much money. Let me know. Uh, You can reach out to me at at The Mix Is In on Twitter or at Shouting Street on Twitter. And uh, shoutingstreet.com is where we're going to post the playlists that we're talking about here. Uh, So you'll be able to reach out to me there as well. So anyway, so they were playing club bands. They started to get a little bit of national touring with other... uh, We'll go with Americana acts. Deer Tick and Lucero are both not the exact same sound, but kind of in that same vibe. Like, if you like both of those, you're going to like Hollis Brown. And they released their first album, which is their first official album, which is called Ride on the Train which is the first album I I got, produced by Adam Landry. It's a terrific album. It's, uh, how to describe it? Well, we're going to get into the music a little bit later when we start doing the actual mix here, the the 10-song mix that we're putting together. Their sound evolves over the course of their albums, and it's, I don't want to say it's more raw. It's not necessarily more raw, but it's more folky, I guess, than where they end up. Not not completely, because songs like Doghouse Blues are definitely blues tunes, but it's got more of a get-out-on-the-road vibe to it. From there, they played a Lou Reed benefit, and they played the album, the Velvet Underground album, Loaded in its entirety. And they enjoyed it so much that they decided to record a full album of exactly that. It's Loaded. It's an album called Get Loaded. And it's their almost note-for-note interpretations of every song on the the famous Velvet Underground album. And it's stellar. It was Loaded was the first album and the first bit of music that Mike Montali and Jonathan Bonilla bonded over in high school. So the band's roots can be traced back to this particular album, which has classics like Sweet Jane, Rock and Roll, Oh Sweet Nothing, and... It's their interpretation of it. It's, it's fairly straight, but it's it's really good. They have such a good, strong sound, particularly in the guitar side and Montali's singing, that when you hear their interpretations of these songs, it's... I won't say it's like listening to the album for the first time all over again, because it's, it's tough to say it's better than Loaded. It isn't. But if you dig Hollis Brown's sound, I find myself listening to it quite a bit more than the original. So... We'll say that much. That came out as a Record Store Day release, an exclusive LP, and then it got sold out everywhere, and it got enough buzz that they gave it a wider release, which is probably how I found it. I When that came out, I wasn't onto them quite yet. From there, they began in 2014 working on a follow-up album, which was eventually going to be called Three Shots. It was written and recorded over 18 months, and it was produced by Don DeLego of Velvet Elk and released in 2015. And they started touring at that point. With They were opening for Counting Crows and started, I think they toured Europe at that point as well. 
I think it's their only Velvet Gel. Uh, actually, no, Cluster of Pearls, which is an e another record store day EP that came out after Three Shots. I think was also Velvet Elk. I'm not entirely certain on that. Probably should have written that down before I started recording this podcast. But here you go. Velvet Elk is the small label run by Don DeLego, who is a New York scene guy. He has a studio up in the Poconos, and he's recorded the likes of like Jesse Mallon, Diane Gentile, uh, I think Kelly Swindoll, but I'm not 100% certain. Bree Sharp also records with Velvet Elk. You might remember her from the 90s. Semi-hit David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love Me? Certainly it's how I found her. She's a great singer-songwriter. She has a cool cover of Fairy Tale of New York that she sings with Jesse Mallon. So, so Velvet Elk was kind of an interesting label. Is kind of an interesting label. Uh, the Dead Havens or Dead Heavens rather were on there. A few other things, but uh, worth worth looking into if you're interested in, in in music in general. And you know, you're the kind of person that sees a label and says, "Well, let's see what they've got," which I will admit I can sometimes be. Uh, so anyway. Back to Hollis Brown, they released Three Shots, Did started touring Europe. Three Shots is, up until last year, I would say was kind of their definitive album. It is top to bottom strong. It ha- evolves their sound from the more folksy, rootsier sounds on Ride on the Train to powerful, incendiary. I'm going to use that word a lot with them, incendiary, because it's, to my mind, it's the single best descriptor for their guitar sound and because i'm a giant fucking music nerd it's the kind of what you know word that i think of when i think of that sort of thing uh, i probably picked it up from watching almost famous i know they describe something there as incendiary i think he does in the beginning so anyway three shots was their definitive album it had been a while it was three years before they came out with their next one uh and they toured this almost non-stop i mean we'll get into the songs on it a little bit later when we talk about the mix but if I were to say to someone, actually, you know, it's, it's probably not even true anymore. Three years after that, they released Ozone Park, which I'll talk about in a second. In between those, they released Cluster Pearls, which I said was another record store day special that I actually did find in Rainbow Records in Newark, Delaware this time. I guess they had enough of a name that it was more of a, it wasn't one of those regional only releases. And it was like manna from heaven finding this thing. Because I don't, I try to get to New York, but I don't get up there that much. So when you're sort of out of the scene that you follow most closely, sometimes you get lucky. It's like I found a Dogmatics record in a shop in Delaware, too, which is a Boston old punk band, and got very excited. So I guess the point there is support your local record store, talk to them, and you know they'll help you out, but you never know what you're going to quite find when you actually go out and look for some music uh, instead of just going online. Later... Uh, still on Velvet Elk, they released a single called uh, in 2016 called Run Right to You, which is another song we're going to talk about later. But it was released, it had a B-side of their cover of a Jesse Mallon song called She Don't Love Me Now, which is a bit of a real departure from the original, and we're going to talk about that soon too. And then in 2019, they released Ozone Park. This is a, their latest album recorded over a couple of weeks in... Florida by Adam Landry, who had produced their first album, did it on tape, did it, you know, four of them in the studio at the same time, and it's really good. Top to bottom, there's no weak points. 
So last year was a really good year for music for me. There was a bunch of stuff that came out, including, you know, Jesse Mallon, Trapper Shope released some new stuff, Street Dogs, a lot of bands I like. So I wouldn't say it was the best album I bought last year, but boy, it made a case. It was up there with, with all those. Like, it's tied for first. It's just a stellar rock and roll album. You can hear all of the, the evolution of their sound coming to a point where, and it's it's gotten some attention, not, I don't think a ton, certainly not as much as it should be, or should be getting, frankly. It's the kind of rock and roll album that, oh, if these guys had just been coming around 20 years earlier and this came out in, say, 1993, it would have been the biggest album on the planet. It's that good, and it's just such a good rock and roll sound. All of their music has a bit of a, a sound, I don't want to say classic rock, because they're not necessarily a backward-looking band. You can hear things like the Allman Brothers in it. You can hear things like Bob Dylan, Velvet Underground. Even more so, things like Sunvolt. Like this whole progression of rock and roll. You can always hear, you know, in the latest bands, you can always hear the last generation or the last two generations and going back. And this is certainly true with them, but it's, it's fresh and it's different. And it's everything that I like about rock and roll in one package even they try some stuff there's some synths on it it's different from all their other albums but top to bottom it's just terrific i actually wrote about it on shoutingstreet.com the piece is called i'd like to see you make me move which is a line from one of the songs i got it it came out right before i I got laid off last year from a job i'd had for 14 years right around the time i got laid off the album came out it's not necessarily something I associate with that because I'd known for a while that this was going to happen. But I had decided that some of that time off and a huge severance package, huge, a severance package, to take a trip. I hadn't been to Canada in a long time and decided I was just going to get in the car and drive for a week and see where, where it took me. And when I got in the driveway and pulled out, the album I was listening to was Ozone Park. I had put blood from a stone on as I pulled out of my driveway and I probably listened to that album 20 times during that that week just driving around back roads and highways in Canada and Maine and New York and Massachusetts so I I'm always going to have this vivid image in my head when I listen to this album of these highways and that kind of you know road trip freedom that you feel and you buy into and you know driving through the Adirondacks are these long stretches of Quebec, of all places. Listening to Do Me Right and all these songs, and really their whole catalog I eventually put on. But they really soundtracked that trip and that album in particular. Like I mentioned in the opener, I discovered Hollis Brown because they were an opening act for Jesse Mallon. Jesse Mallon's one of those kind of central artists for me. He's a guy I got interested in and fell in love with his music, and he has been ground zero for a lot of the music and a lot of the bands I like, and that absolutely includes Hollis Brown. He was playing a Christmas show at a place in Philadelphia called Johnny Brenda's. And I don't always love Johnny Brenda's. It's a nice venue, and it's a good place to hear a show. A good bar. Actually, it's a pretty good restaurant downstairs. Lots of vegetarian food. Although, they don't have PBR, or at least they didn't. Uh, And that always bugs me a little bit, because I'm cheap when it comes to beer. And it was around Christmas, uh, it was actually, it was the day before, I think it was Force Awakens, the, the new Star Wars trilogy was debuting, and I grew up in Star Wars, and you know, I'm a big nerd. Uh, if you listen to some of the other podcasts I'm on, that certainly comes through. 
and I was slightly on the fence about going to the show. I, I've seen Jesse Bunch. I always try to see him when he comes to Philly. It was cold out, and Johnny Brenda's, as good a venue as it is, is only street parking, and I'm an old man, and if there's just street parking, it's there's always going to be a part of me that's like, you could just stay home and not do this. But I was interested, and I really wanted to see Hollis Brown, because I'd heard of him, I knew you know, Velvet Elk tweets or whatever it was that I had, had picked up on the name from or Jesse Mallon mentioning him, you know, and right before that show, I said, oh, I'll listen to him. And I put on Ride on the Train and listened to it. And that was the final catalyst that made me just absolutely go to this show because I love that song right off the bat. So I saw him and they played a five or six song set, which wasn't nearly enough, but it was one of those things where you get a little gobsmacked by an opening act. I, I talked in episode one about this happening with the interrupters, and this happens to me a lot. That's why I always show up and see the opening acts, because, man, you never know. And Hollis Brown was one of those acts where they came out and I, they played right on, you know, it's funny, the only two specific songs I remember them playing were Ride on the Train and John Wayne. And I didn't know a ton of songs at that point. I, I'd picked up Ride on the Train, but I'd listened to it maybe three times and absolutely just was blown away by how good they were alive. I mean, it was nuts. Like, an opening act shouldn't set your hair on fire and make you run around screaming like they did, but they have such a powerful presence. And then uh, Jesse came on. The, the Jesse show was, of course, great. But yeah, I was, I was all in at that point. I remember I went to, after the show, I went to buy some merch, and they'd already closed down the merch table after they were done before before Jesse was done. So I couldn't get any other stuff directly from them. But I went home and ordered a few of the albums. That's I ordered three shots and get loaded. And I uh, was kind of off to the races from that. So it was a while again before I saw them. I saw them play. It wasn't really them per se. I saw a Jesse Mallon show, which was a Joe Strummer tribute. One of the things you're going to find on this podcast is that probably my, my all-time musical idol is Joe Strummer. If you know anything about him, you would probably have recognized Shouting Street as my internet handle and my website and all that. And it's from a Joe Strummer song on the Earthquake Weather album. So anyway, so there's a Joe Strummer tribute where Jesse Mallon was playing with the Van Saders kid named Matty Carlock, and then doing a Jesse Mallon set, and then doing uh, Clash and Joe Strummer's cover sets with a bunch of individual artists where Jesse and his band, I think it was at the time Randy Schrager, uh, Rob Cloris, Jesse, Derek Cruz, and I think Catherine Popper, maybe at that point, but I'm not entirely sure if she was the bassist there. It wasn't James Cruz yet, but I can't. I, I got to go back and look at the pictures. At, at anyway, it was it was the usual folks around Jesse were playing as the house band, and a bunch of different people were doing Clash covers. So it was like Ted DeLeo, Brian Fallon, Patrick Stickles was there, but Jonathan Bonilla and Mike Montali were there. They did, if I recall correctly, it was brand new Cadillac, and it was great. It wasn't like seeing Hollis Brown, but it was cool seeing the guys, and uh, that was still the best show I've ever been to. And we'll talk about that when I finally do a Jesse Mallon episode. I'll get around to it. I'm not quite there yet. Picking 10 Jesse songs is not very easy when this is one of the top five guys for me. Uh, so anyway, it was a while again before I got to see him. I had tickets to see a show they did in the afternoon that ended up going because I was having some medical issues. And 
I really had to, to choose between one or two shows, and there was another one that was an in-store show, which was a release for Jesse Mallon's new album, or the day before the Hollis Brown show, which was a full show. And I had, I had you know, full disclosure, I had a catheter in. So it's not much fun to go to shows when you've got that going on, when I really only had enough energy for one of them. So I ended up skipping the Hollis Brown show. And I don't think I would have had much. I would have loved the music, but, you know, when you, well, we won't get into it too much, but it's not a comfortable feeling. Uh, so I had to wait, and finally they announced a tour they did with a band called Vintage Trouble, and they were playing in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, at the Ardmore Music Hall, which is a pretty nice venue that I've seen a few good good bands at. Sun Volt has played there, plays there every time they come through, actually. Uh, so we just got to interview Wheatus there. If you know Wheatus, they're from uh, Teenage Dirtbag fame. But anyway, it's, it's a great venue, and I was excited to go up there. It's pretty small-ish. It's, it's weirdly designed. Like the bar is on the, to the left of the stage and then there's a raised seated platform. And then there's kind of like an L-shaped area for people to actually stand and listen. It's kind of weird, but I, I enjoyed it. It's quirky. It's another venue that doesn't have PBR. So, you know, that's one mark against it, but it does have easy parking. So it's, you know, when you get to be my age, it's, it's balancing all these things when you're going to see live music. You do it anyway. You just complain about it more. Uh, so anyway, so they opened for Vintage Trouble, and this was the first time I got to see him post-Ozone Park release. I was just, again, blown away by how good they are and how tight they were. This was the first night on the tour for them, and I think it was the first night. And, you know, they were all in, well-practiced. It was just, it was a good, good opening set. You know, and I was right up front because, you know, they're an opening, Not apparently not enough people here know them. Uh, there were a few other people in in the place that knew him, but not enough to my mind. And after the show, I went over and I finally got to meet him, chat with him for a little bit, and that was fun. And and then I had listened to a couple songs from Vintage Trouble and left. They weren't they weren't really my thing. That that's always a bit of a weird thing when you go for an opening act and you don't necessarily stay for the main act. It feels wrong. It's it's happened to me a couple of times there. I went to see, like I said, I went to see Weedus and interviewed him. Uh, and I you know I can't remember it was a. 90s act and I'm blanking on the name but there were one I never really liked and I stayed for a couple of songs and just couldn't do it Vintage Trouble was good I would have stayed for them uh, I enjoyed them for some reason I had to leave anyway I didn't stay for the opening act but that always feel or for the clo- the main act but it always feels weird at that show they mentioned they were going to be playing in Asbury Park with Jesse coming up this, this was last year and then in January nope February in February they played a show at the Stone Pony, with Jesse Mallon, the X-Men, and Maddie Carlock again. And I, I have since really gotten into Maddie Carlock, you know, and I'll, I'll go see Jesse just about anywhere if I can. Uh, but I was really, I have to admit, I was really excited to see a bit of a longer Hollis Brown show in a place where they were a bit more, you know, part of their scene, where they'd be a bit more known, like it would be a big crowd, and all those bands are kind of in the same group. They're all friendly, or at least they seem to be friendly from from my perspective. And it was probably the best performance by a opening act I've ever seen. It was I it was transcendent. It was smoldering. It was wonderful. They were just they're almost hard to describe. It they have that energy. Imagine that the Almond Brothers had at the Fillmore. You know when they recorded that famous album. You know how you're at a concert sometimes, you listen to the music, and then you're just transported by it, like you're barely there, like physically you're still there, and you're still moving, and you're still grooving, but the rest of you, your mind, you know, your spirit 
is on some higher plane. And I know it's probably overstating, but man, did I touch that when they were playing. They played some of their some of the stuff I hadn't heard, like they played Faith and Love and they played Oh Sweet Nothing and it was just it was a long it was the first time I got to see them play for a bit longer than like eight songs. And man, I can't wait to see them headline something. I I, I you know, I'm gonna drive somewhere a long distance for that next time, you know, once these restrictions all are released hopefully for their they're doing a tour uh we're gonna be playing get loaded in its entirety and i'll be all over that it was without a doubt one of my favorite concerts of all time jesse was great maddie carlock was great uh, i'm not a f- much of a fan of what the x-men do but the people there really got into it so the crowd was good but the highlight really was Hollis Brown. As much as I love Jesse, I have to admit the highlight was Hollis Brown coming out and playing Cold City. And they're one of those bands that you can you can describe how they are live, but until you actually see it, you don't really believe it until you see it and you feel it. And it gets into you and it gets going and your whole body starts moving and, you know, it could be minus five degrees out and you'd start sweating. That's how hot they are live. So, yeah, that was the last time I saw them until actually yesterday, the day before I recorded this. They did a live stream on Stage IT. Since we're all on lockdown, they played Ride on the Train its entirety, and that was a lot of fun. It's a little different watching it online when everybody's cooped up, but it was still cool, and it's cool that they did that. That's my personal experience with them. They also, oddly enough, when I, a few weeks ago, before all this started with the, the virus, my wife and I took a trip back to Quebec, to Montreal, because she had never been, and... I don't tend to listen to a ton of music when we're on a long drive together, but I did listen to a bunch of podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listened to was Scenesters with Hollis Brown, where Mike and Jonathan interview a bunch of New York scene guys, and they happened to do one with a two-parter with Jesse Mallon, which was Dynamite, and uh, one with John Gallagher Jr., who they're talking about the New York scene, but he's actually from Newark, Delaware, so he's, I don't want to say local hero per se, but he's close to it. Uh, he's certainly, he's somebody, you know, I have friends who know him and, and it was a lot of fun and the rest of their podcasts are very good. They do, they have episode on, uh, Daryl McDaniels, which is DMC from run DMC, uh, Adam Duritz from Counting Crows and Rocky O'Reardon, who's the original bassist from the Pogues. So if you, if you're listening to this podcast, I would suggest you listen to that podcast too. It's called Scenesters with Hollis Brown and it's a lot of fun. All right. So that's Hollis Brown. So here we are. So as we've talked in the previous episode, and as I probably should have introed in this one, what we do on this podcast is I put together a mix of a band or a theme or, you know, it could be like 80s One Hit Wonders or the first episode we did, we did in The Interrupters, and it was kind of an intro mix. For this one, is a bit like that too. It's an intro mix to get a good cross-section of Hollis Brown, what they do, how they feel, and trying to recreate that concert experience a little bit with the mix. So these are 10-song mixes, which are really hard to do, I have to admit. I'm the kind of guy who makes 40-song mixes on my iPod. Yes, I still use an iPod. So narrowing it down to 10 songs is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. So it took me a while for them to really get it, but I've listened to it a few times, and I think it's the right one. So anyway... So here we are. So this is the mix, and that's why we're called The Mix is In here. First, I'm going to give you a couple of the, the final cuts. When I went through originally to put this mix together, there were 29 songs on it. So I had to cut 19. 
which is a lot of good music that we're not going to talk about today. But the, the final three, the three hardest to cut, were a song called Faith and Love, which is off their first album, Ride on the Train. And it, it's kind of a slower, I'm going to say romantic, but it's a, a bluesy, rocky, balladish kind of song. And it's, it's really good. It's a good indicator of their sort of their softer side and a little bit different from a lot of the songs that they do. But as much as I love it, it was in the, those final cuts. That was followed by Gypsy Black Cat, which for the longest time was my personal favorite song from them. It's another one that's off Ride on the Train. It was the one between that and Ride on the Train that really grabbed me initially. And it's it's just a good song. It's a fun rocker. It's a little more folky than a lot of their stuff, but in a cool 70s kind of way. And then the other one, which was the actual last one that I cut from the mix, so this was the 11th song in a 10-song mix, was called That's the Way She Does It uh, from Ozone Park. And it's it's another one. It's a good rocker, but it's got a bit of a different vibe to it. It's it's almost got a, uh, I don't want to say musical theater quite, but it's a little bit of a different kind of hook. But the song is really strong, and it's maybe... My favorite or my second favorite on Ozone Park, it's tough. I love so many songs on the album, but it's in the end, it was the one I had to cut to make the the tightest 10 song mix I could. All right, so the mix itself. So the first track you're going to be listening to when you go to listen to this playlist is called Cold City, and it's from Cluster of Pearls, which is their EP that we talked about. They actually played this as their opener the last couple of times I saw them, and it's a real stone-cold blues rock number. It's it's even got a cool video that they've done, but it's, as an opener and a, a scene setter, it's a great song. It's tight, it's grimy, it's got that blues rock feel that you want, that you you're, you seek out when you get in that mood where, where things are, you know, maybe it's a little hot out or, or too cold out, and you're in the city, and, you know, hence the name, Cold City. So that's that's our opener here. That's followed up by Rain Dance from Three Shots. Now, Rain Dance is kind of a special song. It's, well, it's what Mike Montali describes as socially conscious blues. Now, this one actually has a bit of a story behind it. Originally, the the main riff from it, the the guitar tracks, are from Bo Diddley. They were playing an opening set, and a a Bo Diddley rep, he's passed on, but from his record company or whomever still deals with his music, came up to him afterwards and asked if they'd like to finish something that Bo Diddley had started but never finished and gave them after some going back because you know who's going to say no to that but they got audio of a couple of rhythm guitar tracks and then they built this song around it and as listening to interviews about it and talking about it Mike Montali described it as socially conscious blues and to me that feels pretty accurate so they kind of built this song and then they had to record it all in one day if they wanted to fit it on the Three Shots album because of when they got it. So they did. And it's a really good blues guitar song, top to bottom. And they, they, they got to play it in a, I think it was a tribute or a show honoring Bo Diddley and Montali, I think, got to play Diddley's square guitar. It's just a good rock and roll song and it has that sensibility of both Bo Diddley and what Hollis Brown bring to the table. And if you listen to it all the way through, right at the end, they isolate the original guitar track, so this kind of the outro is that original Bo Diddley playing. It's it's just a neat, it's a neat tune, but it's 
not a novelty song. Like, it is a good fucking rock and roll song. So that's why it's here. All right, so we're going to follow that up with Do Me Right, which is off Ozone Park. Do Me Right was the first single off Ozone Park. It actually came out a few months, well, I think a few months, a few weeks at least, before the album came out. It's inspired by Bruce Springsteen. It's basically about Montali's wife. It's a bit of a double entendre, but it's mostly about her support and faith in his career. And like I said, they're they're kind of a playful band, especially with lyrics, so you, you get that going into it. But it's got this long, slow build from the beginning. You know, it's like you can you can almost see like the 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 mist or the smoke coming out on the stage and starts in with the guitars and gets into it and they really and it's down and dirty and just powerful. You know, good chords and top notch rock and roll song. And it's it, I tell you what, if you're driving around at night tooling around feeling yourself especially in the summer with the windows down it is perhaps the perfect song for that we're going to follow up with we're going to take a little bit of a turn towards their folkier side with wait for me virginia which is off three shots and it's a song about it tells three stories about waiting hanging around keeping the faith first one is about a person in jail second is about a band on tour and the third is about a soldier and to my mind, you know, when they've had like three years between albums and keeping the faith and keeping going and keeping this thing alive, trying to make it big. And the song is really indicative of a lot of what they've gone through and they've done and just kept going and kept that faith and put out album after album of just good rock and roll music. In a landscape where rock and roll music isn't necessarily on top or looked at like it used to be but it's still worth doing, and that's, to me, what this song is about. So keeping the, the folkier, rootsier Americana vibe, we're going to follow that up with She Don't Love Me Now from Ozone Park. There were actually two options for this because there's the live version of this on the B-side to the Run Right To You single, and I went with the album version. They're both real good. Uh, it was basically a coin flip. It's a Jesse Mallon cover, and it's a big, big departure from... The original. The original has got kind of a 70s disco, glam, funk vibe to it. Jesse refers to it in concert as a dance number, and it's pretty often the one he'll come out into the crowd to sing. They play it as this Allman Brothers-esque, Americana, rootsy folk song, and it's gorgeous. On the Ozone Park, their sound's pretty evolved, but this is the one that you could put on the first album, and it would fit right in. It's a good song the way Jesse does it, and it maybe is a great song the way they do it. I just adore it. I, I've always adored it from the Jesse original, and then when I heard this, it was like a revelation. And it's neat hearing the two bands, because I've seen them you know, both, like I said, a few times now, and hearing Jesse do his version and them do their version. I once heard Jesse and Derek Cruz do an acoustic version with Hollis Brown's arrangement, which was different. I, I asked Derek Cruz about that afterwards. I mentioned that you played it the Hollis Brown way, and he said, oh, well, you know, I think it might be better. But since they, they've gone back to playing it the original, so who knows? I think they're just different ways of doing it. So, like, if you've ever read Stephen King, uh, he did two novels called Desperation and Regulators, and they were essentially the same story told two completely different ways. And that's what I think of when I think of the two versions of this song. They're both really good novels, and these are both really good songs. 
it's the same song at heart, but vastly different things that they're accomplishing with. So it's it's one of my favorites. Uh, and we're going to follow that up with Ride on the Train, which, as I've previously mentioned, is the song that hooked me on Hollis Brown. So when I saw that they were open and I decided I was going to go to the show, I went to YouTube and looked up some of their music. And the first thing that popped up was Ride on the Train. And I hit play on the YouTube video and listened to about a minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes of the song. Paused it, went to Amazon and ordered the album. It was that good. And I knew right away this song had to be, I think... I don't know if it was their first single or everything, but it, it's another perfect road song. To me, this was the song that opened that door and got me into this band, so I'll, I'll forever love it. It's another one I'll, I'll play pulling out of my driveway going on road trips because it's a perfect, perfect road trip song. And it's got some of my favorite of their lyrics, you know, like one of them, and I, I probably shouldn't read this. I don't know about how that's going to work, but it's, it's all I ever really wanted was a second try. And I, I don't know why, I just love that lyric. But the whole song is, is wonderful. And a celebration of everything that's gotten me into these bands like Hollis Brown or Allman Brothers or The Band or Bob Dylan and that kind of, that Americana that where you, especially for those of us who are from the East Coast and from the Northeast where you, you look out West and you see all that space and all that open road and all that, Great Plains and the mountains and all that stuff out there. And you know that so many of the artists are people from out there who came to you and they brought all of that with them. And you, somebody from New York, I'm from New York, and you look that direction, you're like, well, let's go find out what what it is they brought with them. And you go out there and you drive those highways and you see those big skies. And it's you really, really get a sense of what all of America is and can be and the, the way people fall in love with that stuff. And this song encompasses all of that. It's that, that trip out west into the wide blue yonder, as Tom Petty would put it. That's what I love about Ride on the Train. Uh, so after that is Run Right to You, which was the single they released from Velvet Elk. It's one of the first songs they wrote as a band, despite coming out after quite a few albums. It's, they waited a long time to release it. It went through a bunch of changes. And it's one of Mike Montali's favorites because of the perseverance. And we talked about with Wait For Me, Virginia, this, this band carrying on through it all and just continually doing their thing, despite maybe not having you know, worldwide success, although they're, they're really getting there now. Run Right to You is a, it's another blues rocker. It's, it's, we're picking up the pace on this, this mix a little bit here. But it's also got maybe the coolest drum intro in their entire catalog. It's just a good song, but it's a tight song, and it, and it really tells you, it tells the story of their ev- evolving sound. And you can see the difference in maybe what it is now versus what it could have been if it came out before. After that is their actually their latest single, which is Go For It off Ozone Park. It's got a cool snare drum hit and funky guitar intro. It's a little bit different sound from the rest of Ozone Park. It's kind of a funky, dancier song. It's probably the song I've listened to most lately. Top to bottom, it's a great fucking rock and roll song. And it's, as an album ender for their newest album, it's perfect. It's dead perfect. Like, you go out on that high note, and you go out, and you're pumping your fist. And when they played it in concert a couple of times, I mean, it's electrifying. 
and it's got you know good message go for it and they've been releasing videos with that message and it's it's another one of those it's a bit of a mission statement you know it's the end of this album and it says look just go for it do it just go for it do it don't don't keep talking about doing things do them and that's what this song is about and what the band is about a little bit so yeah it's a good song so getting towards the end here we got uh oh sweet nothing which you may know from Velvet Underground. This is this one of two covers on this list, and I know it's a little bit weird having covers on a, a you know mix to really get to know a band, but it's one of those songs that it's the first song on Get Loaded, and it's the song that they bonded over, the album that they bonded over. So it tells to some degree the story of the band. It's their origin story, if you will. It's a top five cover for me, maybe all time. It's perfect. It's perfect. Their blues feel combined with the the original Velvet Elk grime just makes it just wonderful. They're doing a tour playing Get Loaded, and they, they played it for the first time when I saw them in Asbury Park last month. And for not They're not playing it for the first, the first time I saw it. And it's just, it's such a good song. Uh, and if for no other reason... I played it in the guitar once in the car once with my brother. My brother doesn't really care about music made since 1978, uh, except for the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And it was the only one where I was going to switch it because he, you know, usually complains, you know, are you playing all these bands I've never heard of? Uh, And he said, no, leave that one. So it had to be on the mix. And we're going to finish that up. The the final song, the 10th song, with the one that they close often with in concert, or at least they were, John Wayne which is a long guitar rock masterpiece. When I talk about the band being incendiary, this is the song that lights the fires. This is the song that leaves your clothes and your ears and your mind a little bit charred and smoldering as you walk out of a venue. It's a perfect live song. And the version we're including on this mix, when you go to listen to this on Spotify, is the Audio Tree live version. The the regular studio version is on three shots, but I included the live version because if nothing else, you got to hear it live. Uh, and this is the song to hear. And if you can listen to this, and it's an eight-minute song, and not just fall in love with this band, I, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. I wrote about them a while back on ShoutingStreet.com, and rather than talking about this, I'm going to read what I wrote then. Here's the thing, though. The guitar in John Wayne is absolutely incendiary. It starts out slow and sinister with lead singer and guitarist Mike Montali strumming his pretty cherry red D'Angelico hollow body Bigsby B30 guitar. It took me 40 minutes of Googling to figure out what he was playing in pictures, so you got the whole name. He strums and sings about John Wayne and Pakistan and oil and war, intermingled with a few oohs and a bit of whistling. At 2.39, there's a drum roll, and then some good old-fashioned rock and roll happens. Jonathan Bonilla brings his guitar to bear, along with the drums and the bass, and things get fiery. Montali's hymn-like vocals explode into a barely-controlled yell. The pace picks up, and they let loose. It slows back down at the 5.05 mark, sounding like an outro, but nope. They turn things back up to 11 at 5.48, and then just roll with it, not slowing down until the last gasp at around 7.13. If the band played it at the Winterland Ballroom during the last waltz or the Allman Brothers played it at the Fillmore East, it would fit right in. In fact, if I had to compare it to any other song off the top of my head, it would be Chest Fever. That same slow burn followed by the kind of guitar work that makes the hair in your arms stand up 
and your body shiver as the ghosts of old rock and roll gods pass through you. Yeah, I wasn't going to try and describe it again, but that's still how I feel about this song. It's just rock and roll at its finest. And that's how I would describe Hollis Brown. Rock and roll at its finest. And if you haven't picked up this band, go listen to this mix. We'll have the link to it on shoutingstreet.com. And on Spotify, you can follow. Uh, we'll, we'll link it over on um, Twitter, where I'm at the mix is in, uh, And whatever social media I have started up for this podcast. So there we go. That's Hollis Brown and the mix is in. We've got 10 songs of great rock and roll. You should go listen to it. I'm sorry I can't play them on this podcast, but I would get arrested and sued. Uh, So we're not going to do that. So you're going to have to do a little bit of the legwork. But let me tell you, this band is worth it. And that's the thing about these great bands, and certainly in the music times we listen to, or we're in now, where it's a little bit harder to find something new. It's a little bit harder to to hear some good rock and roll. you got to want it. And if you want it, then Hollis Brown is the band that's going to give it to you and it's going to deliver and you're going to be like, hallelujah, this is why I came to this church. I'm Jacob, this is The Mix Is In, and we'll see you next time.